Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. In order for God's grace to sufficiently work, I have to come to the end of myself. And for those of us who are stubborn, the obstinate amongst us, the stubborn amongst us, we fight this with everything in us, don't we? And we do so to our own peril. This is In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ephesians. Is it hard for you to accept the grace of God in your life? Oftentimes we fight yielding completely to God because we want to hang on to a sliver of control, as we'll hear from Pastor J.D. today. God's grace can only be made sufficient in our lives when we realize our weaknesses and let Him work His power through our absolute surrender. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Ephesians chapter 2 with part 2 of his message, But God. Why doesn't he take it away and make it stop? It's too painful, and I don't know how much more I can handle, and I don't know if I can go on. God's grace is sufficient. Come on. Well, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in his second epistle to the Corinthian church in chapter 12. I want to read verses 8 through 10. He says, concerning this thing, what's this thing in your life? For Paul, it was this thorn in the flesh, which has led many to speculate what that was, whether it was a physical infirmity. Some believe it was a problem with his eyes due to malaria. Others suggest other things we don't know, but that's not the point. He had this thing in his life he describes as a thorn. And by the way, don't imagine it being a little thorn on a rose bush. This is like a, um, in the original language, it carries with it the idea of a tent spike. And by the way, if there was anybody that knew what a tent spike was, it was Paul. He did tents for a living. He's describing this tent stake that's in his flesh that was tormenting him. And he's begging God. He's pleading with God. He says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And you know what God's response was? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Really? <laughs> really? Come on, let's be honest. Real talk? Can we, can we talk for real here? We want God to get us out of the trial. But what if God wants to give you the grace to make it through the trial? I mean, certainly he could effortlessly take you out of that situation you're in, in an instant. But he doesn't. Why? Is he being cruel? Absolutely not. He wants you to taste from the cup of his grace in ways that you could never have 
had he not allowed this thorn in your flesh. Embrace God's grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he says this, my strength is made perfect in weakness. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Therefore, most gladly, Paul says, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, and this is the conclusion of the matter, For when I am weak, then I am strong. How does that work? Oh, that's how grace works. I realize that this is a paradox of paradoxes, but that's how grace works. And even grace works is sort of a paradox in and of itself. This is how grace, perhaps better said, operates. This is when grace is operational and functional in the life of a Christian. In order for God's grace to sufficiently work, I have to come to the end of myself. And for those of us who are stubborn, the obstinate amongst us, the stubborn amongst us, we fight this with everything in us, don't we? And we do so to our own peril. This is what one has called the three-step program. (laughs) Step one, realize I can't. Step two, no, he can. Step three, let him. Let him. Again, maybe that situation in your life has been allowed by the gracious hand of a loving God to get you to that place where you just throw up your hands and you say, God, I just can't. It's impossible. And that's when God rushes in. That's when God's grace in all of its sufficiency and adequacy comes. And that's only when it comes. That's when the but God moment arrives. I can't, but God can. Won't you let him? Won't you let him? Oh, oh, excuse me. You're still trying to figure it out. I caught myself praying this the other day, and I asked the Lord to forgive me. He said, Lord, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. And it was like the Lord would say, you are? Uh, 
you're, you're still trying to figure it out in the energy of your own strength, in your own flesh, in your own savvy? Well, let me know when you're done. Because when you figure out that you can't figure it out, I'll be here waiting. Hopefully the sooner the better that you come to that place, because I have all of this grace. It's just waiting for you. All that you need is here. Yet you stubbornly, arrogantly want to do it yourself. And you can't. And God is so gentle with us, isn't he? I think of what Isaiah says, that he doesn't crush a bruised reed. He doesn't, you know, snuff out a smoldering wick. He's so gentle, and he's so long-suffering, and he's so patient. And he just waits for us to come to that place where we're ready for God's grace. You know, one of my favorite, and there are many, but I just really love Gideon. I love this guy. God used him to defeat the army of the Midianites. And it's not so much that God did it, it's how God did it. If there was ever a man with a but God story, it was Gideon. It was only possible for God when Gideon realized that it was absolutely impossible for him. He was still trying to figure it out in the math. He's got 32,000 men. The Medianite army has 135,000 men. He's trying to figure out how is 32,000 men going to defeat an army of 135,000 men. And God's saying, you're still trying to figure that out? I'll help you out. (laughs) You won't figure it out because it's not going to be 32,000. I want you to take those 32,000 men and I want you to go down to the springs. And for those of you who have been to Israel with us, we go to these uh, springs where it's believed that Gideon took his uh, army of 32,000 men to. He says, I want you to um, separate the men that cup the water and bring it up to their mouth from the men that just stick their face in there and drink. I want you to put those guys over here, and then the guys that cup the water, I want you to put them over here. Now here's Gideon, right? What is God up to? Have you ever asked yourself that question? God, what are you? You're up to something. Yeah, I know. You just wait. You'll see what I'm up to. So he takes the men down there to the springs, and what happens? I could just imagine what is going through Gideon's mind. 10,000 men, uh, pardon me, I need to uh, back up, at at 22,000 men uh, take, and when he says, uh, if you're afraid, you can just go. Before he takes them to the water, sorry, that must be the antihistamine. So he takes them, and he, and he says to them, if you're afraid, you can go home. And 22,000 men go home. Now he's down to 10,000. That's the number that he takes to the springs. So 300 men cup the water. 9,700 men stick their face in the water. Now, 
uh, he separates them. And then God says, I want you to send the 9,700 home who uh, stuck their face in the water. And I want you to take these 300 men who cupped the water. Now, you've probably heard this taught that it was because these were the mighty warriors who were on guard. They wouldn't stick their face in the water and drink. They're, they're on guard. They're watching and they're cupping the water on guard. These were the best of the best. No. Here's how I heard it taught, and it makes more sense to me, and it fits with the entirety of the Gideon but story, but God story. The 300 men who cupped the water did so because they couldn't bend down to stick their face in the water. Why? Because they were older, perhaps infirmed, crippled maybe, and they couldn't. That fits. What do you mean? Well, think about it. When God appears to Gideon, where is he? He's hiding from the Midianites in total fear threshing the the wheat at the wine press, hiding. And God appears to him and says, Gideon, oh mighty warrior. <laughs> to which I can just imagine Gideon responding with, where? Where's the Not Me? Yeah, you. I'm going to use you to deliver the Medianites into the hands of the Israelites. And what does Gideon do? Oh, he starts off right out of the chute. No, God, you've got the wrong guy. You don't understand, God. Uh, I'm the black sheep of my family. And my family is the black sheep of my tribe. And my tribe is the black sheep of all of the tribes of Israel. Three strikes, I'm out. God says, no, you're not. I'm going to use you. That's in fact why I'm going to use you. God chooses and uses the weak to confound the strong, Right? So that's when Gideon then puts out the fleece and says, okay, God, I need confirmation here. So let there not be any dew, you know, uh, around and then not on the fleece. And then God does it. And then God says, I want to be, Gideon says, I want to be really, really sure. So now I want you to flip it around the other way. Have the dew be on the fleece and not on the ground around. And God does it. Gideon realizes uh, he's got to do this. And he's the least of the least of the last of the last. And that fits with the 300 men who also had to be the least of the least and the last of the last. See, even if they were 300 Green Berets, so to speak, top guns, if you will, think about it. Wouldn't they still want to try to take the credit? You should have seen us, man, with that Medianite army, the 300 of us. It doesn't work. <laughs> Imagine, on the other hand, if they're elderly men, infirmed and unable, and imagine them going back to the camp of the Israelites after defeating the Midianites and trying to take the credit for it. <laughs> Boasting about, you should have seen us. <laughs> doesn't work, does it? That's God's grace. They did nothing in and of themselves, in their own strength. God's strength was manifest in their weakness. 
That's grace. That's how grace works. And that's how grace works in our lives. Gideon even makes it into what we affectionately refer to as the Hebrews Hall of Faith, where he's listed amongst those of whom we're told in chapter 11, verse 34, had escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. Did you hear that? Whose weakness was turned to strength. Paul, my grace is sufficient. My power, my strength is manifest in your weakness. And that's when Paul says, I will boast. Gideon will say, I will boast. I am weak, but God is strong. When I am weak, God is strong. I am strong when I am weak. And that's how. It's all of grace. Let me close this way. Every single one of us here today has our own but God story to tell. But here's the thing. The one person that you need to tell your but God story to is you. What do you mean? Great pastors suggesting that we start talking to ourselves. (laughs) Actually, I am. David did. Now, this is different than self-talk. This is talking to self. In the Psalms, David starts off, and I mean, it's perilous. Like here in verses 1 through 3, we're dead in our transgressions and, and sins, deserving of wrath, but God. And the Psalms kind of are the same way. They start off and it's, it's desperate, it's despair, it's dismal, but God. And then David sort of sits himself down and says, sit down, boy. <laughs> you need a talking to. And he starts talking to himself. He gives himself a good talking to. And he says, oh my soul, why be in such despair? You will again have reason to praise God. Maybe you need to have that much needed reminder of what God has done for you in the past because of what you're going through in the present. I think of what David did when he arrives on the battlefield after Goliath, this uncircumcised Philistine, is blaspheming the name of his God for 40 days and 40 nights. David hears it one time. That's not okay. That's not okay. One time. And he goes to the king, who's crippled in fear, Saul. And he actually has to convince Saul to let him go slay this uncircumcised Philistine to shut his mouth so that he never blasphemes the name of his God ever again. Now what does Saul do? He's, come on, David, stick with the harp. This champion, which is what Goliath means, and very interesting, David never once refers to him by that name. 
He always says of him, he's an uncircumcised Philistine who blasphemes my God. Never calls him Goliath, meaning champion. He's no champion. And so Saul says, here, uh, David, you don't understand. Uh, He's been eating kids like you for lunch and spitting out the remains longer than you've been alive. Oh, Saul, but God delivered into my hands a bear and a lion. And if God can do that, then surely God can deliver into my hands this uncircumcised Philistine. And he does. And interesting side note, parenthetically, for those of you that are interested in the significance of numbers, uh, in Scripture. You know that the number five is the number of grace. Grace. I find it interesting that David would take five stones. Some suggest maybe there's merit to it that um, it was because Goliath had, you know, five brothers or four brothers for a total of five. But he took five stones and saved Israel by grace, the number five. You know, the fifth commandment of all the commandments is the only commandment that has any grace. All the other commandments are, thou shalt not. And then you get to number five, and it's, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother, so that the days upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee may be long. Yes, I have it memorized. My parents made me. (laughs) The only commandment with any grace, the fifth commandment. Here's another one, lastly. Uh, This is amazing to me. So Abram and Sarai, their names are changed. How? God takes the fifth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, ha, and places it in the fifth place in their names and changes everything. Ibrahim and Serah, number five. Grace changes everything. Let me say lastly, Won't you today embrace God's grace? But God, it's all of grace, and that will change everything. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you on the authority of God's word and God's goodness. Thanks for being part of our time here today on In Spirit and Truth. We hope you've learned something new from the book of Ephesians and that it's given a new perspective to you on your relationship with Jesus. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week, so be sure to visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com today. Follow the link to our Facebook page where you can join the conversation and fill your news feed with encouragement and useful information. We'd love to see you here in person at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe if you're in the area. Wield services every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. Or come by on Thursday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth Bible study. Directions can be found on our website in spiritandtruthradio.com as well as more information about who we are as a body of believers. 
If you can't join us in person, we hope you'll find a local church community soon that you can call home. Now, we also want to let you know that you can still hear Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Simply click Listen on the top of the page to find these messages by Pastor J.D. in various books of the Bible. Along with that, we invite you to check out the Mideast Prophecy Update. This weekly update is a focused look at current events through the lens of prophecy. Join Pastor J.D. each Friday and Saturday for the Mideast Prophecy Update on our YouTube channel or download our mobile app to have these updates right at your fingertips. Find it all at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Pastor J.D. will have much more to share next time on In Spirit and Truth. Holy me to